Welcome back to an all-new, all-different episode of Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And back with me again today is special podcast person, Alex. Help, I'm trapped. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you're never leaving this podcast zone ever again. Uh, ah. (laughs) All serious, it's really happy to be back. That's Uh, always great to have you back, as always, so far. (laughs) (laughs) You slip up and you're done. (laughs) I will cut you like that, sir. No, I'm just kidding. But today's episode, we're talking about electoral systems in Canada versus mm-hmm. the U.S. because they're actually very different and very surprising, which we'll get into in a second, especially the U.S. system. Canada's pretty straightforward, but U.S. system is, yeah. uh, oof, there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, but before we get into that, our non-legal legal disclaimer, which is simply that Uh, The opinions that we express in this episode and other episodes of this podcast are just that, opinions, so you're allowed to agree with us, or you can disagree with us. We're not saying that we hold ultimate truth or that only our viewpoints are the acceptable viewpoints. Now, with that out of the way, yes, taking a look at the electoral systems of Canada and the U.S., because they are quite different. Now, obviously, every country has their own electoral systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not talking about every country. We're just going to talk about Canada, the U.S. Canada, because, you know, we are uh, Canadian. You know, this is uh, a podcast based in Montreal, Canada. Yeah, we're Canucks. Sorry, yeah, folks. That's just how it's <laughs> going to work. Uh, and we're going to talk about the U.S. system because obviously U.S. politics is like essentially like world politics. It's a hot topic for sure. Hot topic uh, and I feel like. And I feel like in 2020, uh, no, not 2020. What am I talking oh, about? We're beyond last 2020. Year? <laughs> uh, oh, wait, the, the U.S. election? In the most, the most recent U.S. election, yeah. voting rights was a very hot Very uh, issue, contentious right? issue, yeah. And it has yeah. been for a while. Actually, when I looked into it, since the entire founding uh, of the country. Oh, are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like insane. It's insane. Oh, my God. But before we get to that, uh, the other thing, just a note, I think I've said this in other episodes, too, is that like Canadian politics is generally very boring. <laughs> well, you would agree, no? I, mm, uh, compared to boring, American boring politics. compared to what, right? To American like, politics. Well, like, yeah. There's not much that goes on. Parade, clown parade <laughs> that is American <laughs> politics. Yeah, we're boring, but there's still cool. There's still cool stuff that happens. There is some interesting stuff that happens here in Canada, but I'm just saying that. For the most part, not sitting most here going a scandalo after a scandalo, <laughs> but like most, you know, most Canadians would are more in tuned and would pay more attention to what's going on in the states compared to what's going oh, on here. Yeah, and that's that's a failure <laughs> of our people. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I'm so I I I think about that a lot. How like so many more Canadians know more about U.S. politics and elections than they do about their own. It's like nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. So for anyone who's listening from the States, you know, that's a thing. Also, if you're listening from any other parts of the world, because we do have listeners that come from all over the world, it's crazy. Yeah, like that's a thing. One of the things about Canada is, uh, yeah, we like to talk about American adjacent stuff more so than Canadian focused stuff. Yeah, it's a little more sensational. It's a little more like, oh, like what's happening over there, right? Like, because there's a lot. And as Pav, I'm sure you'll get into, there's a lot more wild stuff that happens down there. Yeah. uh, In our neighbors to the south. Yeah. 
Okay. I, I was gonna say oh, that no, go I was gonna go preface before this. I was gonna be like, before we get into it, I was gonna be like, you know, I feel like a lot of this episode is gonna be me reacting to wild things about American politics that you tell me, because uh, like in preparation for this, I, I did a lot of research. I did I did some research into like Canadian uh, voting rights and voting suppression, okay, good. Uh, and electoral system, but like not a lot of the American side. So I can't, I'm looking forward to you telling me things and me just okay. going like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I did more like on the American side. Oh, perfect. Because um, although I don't know like every single like law and statute concerning, you know, Canadian voting system, I know quite a bit because I've worked in several like elections, yeah. like in federal and provincial and actually municipal. And, and obviously, oh yeah, yeah, good paying, uh, even though it's only like one day generally, but it's pretty good pay for like, it's like $250 or $300 you get. For the day so it's like really good if you can work at a polling station on election day mm -hmm. but yeah so i'm more familiar with how that how that process works and then when you you know read about american elections that have gone on both the presidential and like the midterm elections that happen you just see like the difference and all the the crazy stuff that happens but yeah uh, i think we'll start with the canadian uh the canadian one sure. first because it's uh it's simpler so I feel like we'll probably need more time to go through <laughs> the American the American system. Mm -hmm. So in Canada, it's pretty basic how it works. You know, when you become the age of majority, which is like 18, you're eligible to register to vote in Canadian federal elections. And then if also you're a Canadian citizen. Yes, of course. You have to be a citizen. Uh, you know, if you're, um, so you, yeah, you can register to vote for, uh, federal, uh, elections. And then, uh, you can also register for provincial elections in your home province. And then I assume you register for, uh, municipal. Elections. Yeah. You, you're like, you're automatically put on the, you have to be registered on the voter list. Like you still have to go out there and do that. But, uh, once you're above the age of 18, they start being like, Hey, you can vote now. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So when an election <laughs> comes up, you, there will be ads like on TV and uh, radio, uh, probably print. I don't really read like newspapers and stuff like that. Um, mailing cards will come out yep. telling you, you know, to make sure uh, if you're not registered uh, that you do register if you would like to exercise your uh, right to vote. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then also like reminding you, like if you've moved, like to update your address or to just to like double check that you're on the voters list in case, you know, you have moved or something about your status has changed or something along those lines. But basically it's like once you're on the list, you're on the list, uh, you know, it's really simple to go and register and do it. You can do it online. Yeah. Uh, you can do it by mail. You can do it in person. You can go to like the very first time I registered for an election, I went with my mom to a uh, elections Canada polling station like because uh, they have like when elections are on they set up a bunch of temporary locations but they have in like non-election years they have permanent offices that you can go to oh I actually didn't know that I, yeah uh, hmm. and that's what I did and I, I think my the very first federal election that I voted in I, I did it by like advance during the advance poll so like I cool. didn't even go like on election day. I did it. Uh, it's always way more packed on election day. Anyhow, I guess it depends. In this last election, when I went, there was no one. I was able to just like walk in. Oh, cool. And vote and uh, leave was like, like five minutes. But sometimes there are lineups. I've seen, uh, especially yep. in the last election that was during the pandemic. So uh, I think this was like in BC somewhere or at least at West anyways. 
there were some areas that had like long lines of people waiting uh, to get in uh, to vote. So it can happen. It just depends where you are. What it time totally of day. does. Exactly. It depends on the location. Like some polling stations are bigger than others, right? Like, and it doesn't even, I, I don't know. I don't even know if they divvy it up by like size of district, for instance, uh, but they probably should. Like, I remember uh, I, I've, I've done two elections here here meaning <laughs> I've, I've done one election living in verdun and i did another election living in uh down, living downtown okay and like the downtown polling station was like way bigger it was at the science center and therefore it was a lot faster uh but living but here uh where i am currently the wait there wasn't a huge line or anything but because there are only like two actual state two actual like places to vote in mm-hmm. the polling station it took like forever we were there for like and this is advanced. We were we were there for advanced polling. It took us like three hours or some shit like that. Oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. No, I've had the opposite experience when I voted uh, on the general election day, and then I voted once during a by election that was in my riding. And mm. uh, that one took like a that one was maybe like a ten or fifteen minute wait because you know like a by election is like limited to like a specific riding that is holding the election, so it's just people who live in that particular area who can go and vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, but the other thing, um, aside from, you know, being registered and then actually being on the registration list or the voters list, I should say, uh, the other thing is, you know, we have advanced polling here. So on a set number of weekends, uh, before the actual date of the general election, uh, you can go and vote at these, uh, you know, advanced polling locations. So obviously it gives Mm -hmm. people time to go ahead, uh, and vote. Uh, you can also vote by mail which is yep. what I have done on several occasions because, uh, well, at least in Canada anyways, like for federal elections, uh, if you're, cause I'm originally from Toronto. So if you're outside of like your home province, you can either vote for where you're living currently, or you can vote for where you're from. So there was a couple of times where I opted to vote for my home riding in Toronto and not here. Oh, cool. So I did that. at like advanced like mail-in ballot advanced polling where you know you do the special ballot where it will get sent over there and counted towards that writing though the the main thing is you can only vote once so it's not like you can vote in one district and then be like oh well i also have an address you know in this province or in this city so i'm gonna go vote for that one too we also i believe with the uh electoral system that we have we don't do we don't have any like runoff votes or anything so habitually you're only voting once yeah. And that's kind of it because we have uh, first past the post, right? Yeah. Uh, which, oh God. Which um, is basically like, you know, <laughs> largest amount of votes wins the... Man, if my political <laughs> science professors are listening to this, I am so sorry. It's been a long time. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are different ways that you can do it. But yeah, we have first past the post, which is just yeah. like the person who gets the largest amounts of votes, they don't necessarily need to have the majority of votes. So you, let's say you get 30% of the vote, but if that's the largest slice of the pie, then you're the one who gets the whole pie instead of, yeah. Um, yeah going on a runoff or something. Cause in some areas it's like, yeah, someone has to get at least 50. So then, you know, you'll have to vote again. Like they do this in France for their like presidential elections and stuff yes. where, you know, whoever the top, if the top person doesn't get, you know, 50%, then the, the two highest people will go and whoever gets the majority out of those who are something along those lines obviously i'm not mm-hmm. well versed to add on to what you were were saying about just like just how like i i find voting here is super accessible right mm-hmm. like 
they remind you a bunch of times if you're not on the voter if you're not on the voter list and they but like they have your address or something elections canada elections canada a is a really well thought out and well put together department of the gov- of government federal government i find like they're I've, i looked at their website before coming here and it's actually like super clear yep. there's lots of information about like to find your writing uh the ways to vote voter id right uh, but on top of that, like, as you said, we can vote by mail. There's also like law in Canada that you have to that you can take off time uh, from work to vote. Yeah. Like every voter has to have like must have three consecutive hours off work to vote. So you can tell your employer this. You're like, hey, I got to go vote. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has to be time off with pay, which I th- which I think is like a great way to make voting accessible. Right. And to improve voter turnout. Uh, but there's also a couple, a, a lot of like really great accessibility needs uh, or accessibility things that Elections Canada makes to fit people with accessibility needs. Yep. Like uh, you can ask for a sign, line, sign language interpreter or interpreter in another language. Like they can make, bring you like braille list of candidates if you're, if you're blind, for instance, uh, or like have just bigger ballots. There's a lot of really cool ways that the Canadian government makes it more accessible for people to vote Mm -hmm. and that's the thing too is that yeah uh at least uh well i think every province has their own uh like version of elections canada but basically the um for the federal government yeah there's an outside agency that handles the election so it's not like the the government directly like the ruling party or anything like that to handle that Mm -hmm. handles that directly it's the elections canada and they're the ones who are in charge of administering and running uh the election uh during the actual uh campaign and so in Canada, it's like whenever an election is called, uh, it's like 30 days from like the call date. So unlike the U.S. where you have like these basically two year to four Which year election nuts. cycles. Yeah, Which is nuts. Where people are always campaigning here. You can only do it like 30 days ish uh, before an election is called. And the only ways that elections are called is like either the end of term for a government has come up before um, a law was in- instituted to give a particular date on which this would happen before that uh, it was at the discretion of the, of the government of the prime minister. So they had like five years after an election date, assuming they had a, minor- a majority government to call an election at some point within those uh, five years. And then I think it was Stephen Harper's government. This is federally, but it works the same way provincially as well. Uh, I believe Stephen Harper put in a law where it like made it like a date, mandated a a specific date by which an election has to occur. I think I remember that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's essentially is the same thing, but in this case, instead of just being at the discretion, because that would give like the ruling party, assuming it's a majority, an advantage because they could plan specifically when they want i mean that can still happen because the government or the ruling party the governing party is still free to call an election whenever they feel fit (laughs) Mm -hmm. to do so um the and then the other way uh, essentially is that if there's a minority government if they go through a vote of non-confidence then that would trigger an election so a vote of non-confidence just means that the uh, house of parliament uh, does not have confidence in the government's ability to rule. So what that means is there are certain things that get brought up during legislature. So one of the major things is a budget. So anytime the government yep. passes a budgetary motion, so that's basically all the spending that they plan to do over the course of their uh, term as uh, the ruling party of government. Uh, if that doesn't pass, 
then that would trigger a vote of non-confidence. So that means that uh, they're a minority government. So that means if all the other parties gang up or band together, they would outvote the governing party on a particular issue. So when a non-confidence motion uh, issue comes up, such as a budget, there's a couple of other ones, but the big one is is a budget. If uh, yeah, if they if they don't pass that budget then Mm -hmm. that would trigger an election and then you get the 30-day cycle thing and then technically the queen could call an election whenever she feels like it or the queen's representative which is the governor general but that doesn't really happen because that would screw with uh canadian politics because the one thing that especially if you're someone listening outside of canada is that a lot of canadian politics runs on like tradition so some things called precedent yeah so some things aren't inscribed in law some things are but a lot of it is not inscribed in actual, like, written down, you know, letter of the law. So a lot of it is based on, like, custom and, like, tradition and stuff like that. So technically, someone like the queen can do whatever she wants. Or, the, like I said, the queen's representative, the governor general can do whatever he or she may want to do. But generally, they don't because it's not what you're supposed to do. No, it's it's not totally in their job, job description. <laughs> And then so the other thing, uh, majorly before I'll hand it over to you, Alex, if you have anything else to add for this, is Mm -hmm. voting or voter ID requirements, uh, because this will be an issue when we talk about uh, U.S. uh, elections. But in in Canada, so the first part is obviously registering uh, to vote. And then the second part is going on Election Day or the man's postal vote. So when you actually get to the polling station, um yeah there's a couple things that you do obviously you check that you're at the right place uh because sometimes you know you could go to the wrong area or you get mixed up or whatever who knows or you know you live or you recently moved and so you thought oh i should go back to where i was before all right that all that gets strained out but when you actually go up to vote you have to present uh id so there's a huge list of things that you can show Mm -hmm. uh to to prove uh, you know you are who you say you are the simplest obviously is having like a driver's license that has your picture and your current address yeah and then you know the people who work the actual polling station you know check you up excuse me check your name against the list that they have everything matches the picture matches the person you're looking at everything is good and then you go and you move on uh, or you can do a combination of like different, uh, pieces of mail. Yeah. You can use like two pieces of ID or any other like card issued by the Canadian government. So like if you have your like medical Medicare card yeah. or like your passport, passport even, uh, or if you're military, if you have military ID, if you're native, you have your, uh, Indian status card. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, again, like utility bill or credit card bill or something else for proof of address part. But the other thing and this is going to be, uh, like I said, huge compared to the U.S., is that you can have someone swear who you say you are. True. So True. even if you don't have, like, um, yeah, some kind of government ID, like you could be homeless or your wallet was stolen or you just don't have the necessary identification with you, you can have someone who does have those things come in and swear, like, that you are who you say you are. Which is, yeah, they can vouch for you. Yeah, exactly, which is, which is crazy. Uh, not in a bad way, but it's just like again the, the to be fair the idea like they have to prove their address yeah. and identity right, and you can only vouch for one person. I've also I also looked into this, uh, so it's not like crazy, like it's not like a million. No, no, people but it's, it's like, crazy. I this just person. like I for this person, I vouch for this person. <laughs> no, I don't mean it's crazy like in a bad way because people who go for restrictive voter ID laws, as we'll talk about when we talk about the U.S. Uh, I just mean it's crazy that the fact that 
you know, that it's so open in terms of like mm, what they're willing true. to accept for IDing someone. Like yeah. I, I say, it's crazy, like in a positive way, not in a in a bad way. I'm just like putting it feeling that for people who are like, what? You could just get somebody to <laughs> tell us, say that you're freaking, I don't know, uh, John McDonald, like, yeah, get out of here. No, I mean, but, and no, you yeah. still have to check out, right? That like, yeah. you're on, uh, you know, like, if you if you give your name as like, you know, uh, Sarah Johnson, right? At this address, blah, 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 or this is your birth date or whatever, however it works. I've never actually done it. And then, you know, like 20 minutes later, another Sarah Johnson comes in with the exact same credentials, right? <laughs> Obviously, there's a problem. <laughs> you might be a little, you might be a little screwed there. You know, but it's good though that we, that, because again, it helps people who are maybe disenfranchised in terms of not having mm-hmm. a home or anything like that and not having a fixed address. Uh, they still deserve the right to vote and they shouldn't get blocked from that because someone will be like oh well then someone's going to abuse it and vote like 20 million times or something and swing an election it's like no let's uh, calm down on that that's not going to happen so true so true and then the i guess last thing i'll just say uh on this is uh, the actual election process itself compared to other countries i don't know i know in the in the states they use those voting machines right as we saw in like the 2020 election yes all the yes. kerfuffle that was around like that the oh, machines themselves are rigged and all this crap and uh, all the crazy conspiracy theories around that here in Canada, we just use pencil and paper. That's Good how old fashioned low tech as possible. Like there's no Truly. way to manipulate machines or insinuate that, you know, they've been pre-programmed to vote for one candidate or anything. Like that. It's like, no, no, it's just pen and paper. You put in a box yeah. at the end of the night, you count up all your votes. And then obviously you keep a tally if- of uh, discarded votes in case someone says that they made a mistake or whatever so those are i was gonna all, say do you know if for. they actually count them by hand i always assumed that they did like a scantron type thing no they count them by uh, hand I, that's what wow I, that's what i've really? done yeah yeah at the end oh. of the night you count up your thing and then uh every every because like at a polling station right at a particular location you may have like uh, up to like you know 10 different polls or whatever mm-hmm. so it's not just like one if you go into a building or into a site, it's not just like one person or two people at like a desk and everyone goes to that depending on the size of the population. So like uh, where I worked, I think, yeah, there was like 10 other booths and stuff set up for that. So depending on your, it's all divided by where you live. So some people would go to number one, number two, number three, number four, whatever. Uh, Yeah. So everyone uh, counts up their votes and then whoever is in charge of that particular location gets the total from everyone and they call in to whoever they call into basically goes up like a chain. Right. And then they aggregate all the results. And that's pretty much that's pretty cool, actually. So it's all by hand. The other thing is that um, during the election, like the actual voting time and then during the counting representatives from all of the parties running. I'm not sure if anyone who's not part of a party running can do this, but. There are like observers or whatever, so they can come and look to make sure that things are going to their liking. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you could have people who act, you know, who want to work uh, the polls, you know, trying to be devious in some way or whatever. But to ensure like a fair and impartial system, yeah, you can have people come and like watch observers come and watch. They can't influence anything, but they can watch. And if they have a complaint, then, you know, there's a process that you go through if there's something like that. So that's that's the main thing. That's how our elections pretty much work. Pretty simple, uh, you know, very basic, very low tech. So that's it's it. easy, you know. Yeah. Uh, can't wait to hear all about the the stuff from the states. Uh, yeah, 
no i the the stuff that i that i looked on looked into for their for this was like uh the history of voting rights which is kind of which is a little which is which is pretty interesting like uh i feel like a lot of uh, the statement that we said at the beginning of this which is like you know if you're over the age of 18 you're a mm-hmm. canadian citizen uh that's as easy as it is right it wasn't obviously it wasn't always like that no, and then i think not. like any country that has an electoral system has a very uh storied history with voter suppression right or like who who was able to vote and when and why right mm-hmm. like up until oh god i, I there's a really okay, the canadian encyclopedia has a really great timeline for voting rights in canada uh that tracks like different important uh legislative acts or stuff that came in that changed who was able to vote uh and why and how and why and stuff uh like for the longest time in canada it was really only like white men with property as and specific which is always which was really funny not funny but like it's it was always tied around property yes. for the most part uh here at least i don't know if you can if it was the same in the in the u.s or not oh yes but the idea <laughs> of having property was always very important and of course you know to keep people in power in power uh but it's kind of nuts like up up until uh, i was what was i looking at that was like surprisingly recent i think it was i'm just going through this here i think it was like first nations peoples uh only got to actually like vote like for instance provincially in 1949 which is like not that far away and even then it was only men it wasn't even indigenous women Oh right. yeah, there was a lot of like legal issues uh, for women yeah. who yeah, were native. Yeah, 1960 is when like First Nations people could actually vote in federal elections, okay. while still retaining their status and treaty rights. Yeah, which was a whole thing. Like they, before that, they had to disavow that basically. Yeah, that was a big point of contention for wild. for Indian status and for women. Like, uh, if they married someone who was non-native, they couldn't keep mm-hmm. their status. But men could so yeah. like crazy stuff like that. And yeah, if you want to participate outside of the reservation system, you have to give up exactly. like everything pretty much. Yeah. The only like the thing that we talked about at the beginning where like uh, any Canadian citizen 18 or older only came into Envier in 1982 with the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Yeah. Uh, so like not that long ago, you know, not everybody had the right to vote here. And, and I'm sure that and I didn't look in, super into like cases of apparent voter suppression here. There's what I found was very few and far between. Like apparently there was some sort of scandal in 2011 uh, around voter suppression, which involved like robocalls and real person calls. Oh yeah, I remember hearing in, about that. Yeah, uh, designed to resolve in voter suppression. And then like more recently, there was apparently some weird shenanigans. Tar- not targeting, but like in, uh, for First Nations communities in Northern Ontario, Elections Canada like sent them to weird like put put their polling stations as being like really really far away uh the, to where they actually were living uh and it resulted in quite a few indigenous people being like i guess i'm not gonna fucking vote you know i'm too tired at the end of my day to drive like two hours to go vote uh and the, so there's an investigation put into that but i really couldn't find anything more than that uh yeah we don't here. have like the same history as the states in terms of trying to actively stop mm-hmm. people from voting and and also like i feel like there's not a lot of media attention around that kind of thing, right? I feel like in the states, and we'll I guess we'll get into this is like it's way more of a hot button thing to talk about than here, right? I feel like it a if it was like it's not as rampant, but b like you don't see CBC being like 
the 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 libs are trying to liberals as in the party not, yeah. <laughs> not liberals as in people uh, the liberals are are trying to vote to stop people from voting in kenosha or some shit like that like you know you don't hear about that on mainstream media in 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 on, over here yeah it's not yeah it's just not an effective political strategy as it is in the states and i hope it stays that way because yeah recently more and more uh right-leaning politicians or political uh actors are are adopting american style uh tactics like that and on you know on other issues and uh but that's one of the things well i don't like it for that for other stuff but i also don't want to see it extend to like voting uh stuff oh hell no one thing i will say i remember learning when i was at dawson is that uh in montreal i don't know if this happened in other cities too but in montreal I i don't know when this change happened but Prior to whatever date, if you were a landowner, you got a second vote for municipal elections. Whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So that's one of the things there, right? Uh, As you were hinting at before there, right? Where it was like, you know, white landowning people, you know, were the priority. And that's one thing I've come to realize about our legal system in general is that it's mainly designed to protect those with property. Mm-hmm. Although it's sold to us as protecting everybody, but I would argue in reality, it's mainly its main focus is to pr- protect those with property. That's what we tend to value as a yes. society in general, property over people instead of the other way around. Absolutely. No. Uh, I feel like when it comes to like giving, especially like, you know, Canada and the U.S. are both uh, like colonized, col- colonial or came from colonial powers. Right. Yeah. Uh, where marginalized people have always been lesser than. Right. So like it's very it's quite obvious in that historical context that any kind of marginalized people have always been at the on the boot end of being able to actually make change uh through elections uh historically and even as we might see uh currently right like I'm, i was looking at this time at the timeline again and like in 1834 here uh the slavery act was abolished so like but this and this, so this is in, in in england in the uk black people are, were now considered british subjects at the time mm-hmm. uh which made it so that again property owning black men could vote but in the in the thing that in the thing it even says like racism and discrimination at, at polling stations meant a lot of them didn't cast ballots, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess now we'll uh, shift focus to the U.S. Yeah, let's system. Do it. So this is what you know has kind of like uh, it piqued my interest in this subject is because the U.S. a lot of its rhetoric, a lot of people who are like rah rah, we're like American. A lot of justification for foreign wars, right, is all about freedom yeah. and democracy, right? We're just a freedom, not me personally, but the the point of view an average American, I guess you could argue, takes is, you know, we are democracy loving people always fighting for freedom. You know, when we attack uh, Afghanistan or Iraq or the Middle East or, you know, in Cuba, uh in Korea, you know, different wars, the list goes Vietnam, on right? On. <laughs> different, different conflicts and wars. <laughs> you gotta cut it. <laughs> you know, it's always under the guise of we need to preserve and promote freedom and democracy and capitalism, right? True. And then when you look at how their actual system is run, it's like it's none of those things. Like for a country that loves 
democracy and freedom and voting and all this stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. you guys don't really implement a system that is conducive to any of that. Yeah, like, I, I feel crazy. like a lot. Having, having, having read about and learned a lot of American uh, politics uh, in, in doing poli-sci, it's like the the face that uh that the united like the u.s puts on on an international stage is of this kind of like democracy upholding like freedom loving type thing uh and but that's very much outward on the international stage right historically and even today it's been intern internally their internal politics are not always as conducive to that message uh as they like to think no, not at all. And that's why, like I said, it's been of a great interest to me because uh, there's that dichotomy there, right? That contradiction. Yeah. In, uh, you know, what they say and then what they actually do. Uh, so, like, going back to, let me just pull it up here, to, like, when the U.S. was, like, the 13 colonies. So, mm-hmm. uh, voting at this time, this is in the 18th century, so this is before uh, the Revolution or War of Independence, um, Basically, voting was restricted to European men with uh, various property qualifications. Classic. So uh, in Connecticut, for example, you had to have an estate worth 40 shillings annually or 40 pounds of personal property. Oh, so it wasn't even just like if you had property, it had to be a certain size of property. Because they wanted, (laughs) right, when you talk about restrictions, right, on, 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 on property owners, they didn't want anyone who had property, right? They no, want to yeah. certain, protect a certain class of people. And that seems to be the main motivation throughout all of American history is protecting a certain class of people. Uh, because if you rig the system in your favor, it'll all, you, you know, you'll always win in the end. Right. Of course. Which is why like casinos and all and gambling generally is a losing endeavor. If you're the like, house a participant. always wins. Yeah. So if you set up a system where you always win, then hey, guess what? You always win. So different states had this thing like in Georgia, you have to have 50 acres of land. So I assume that was acres. Yeah, I assume that's not easy to come by, but that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, that's big. Uh, in Maryland, it was same thing: fifty acres of land and then forty pounds of personal property. New Hampshire, like fifty pounds, pounds. Is in the money, right? Yeah, yeah, not pounds, pounds in the weight. Yes, pounds sterling. Uh, I don't have. Normally, I like to say you have to adjust for inflation, but I'm not going to look at the inflation rates for colonial American pounds. I no. don't know if those are the same. I don't, I don't know. Not worth it. I don't know if there's not a because uh, uh, usually I just look up a, a calculator you can find like for the U.S. or for Canada or for whatever country an inflation calculator to update uh, for you know modern equivalents. But uh, in this case, just know this is like a lot of money. This is not something or any random person would just have upon them. But most of them seem to be land. In New Jersey, you needed 100 acres of land or real estate or personal property worth 50 pounds. Huh. In North Carolina, yeah, 50 acres of land. Pennsylvania, 50 acres of land or 50 pounds of personal property. Uh, in Rhode Island and Providence Plantation, you need personal property worth 40 pounds or yielding 50 shillings annually. Uh, in South Carolina, hmm. 100 acres of land on which taxes were paid or a townhouse or lot worth 60 pounds on which taxes were paid or payment of 10 shillings in taxes. So, And then Virginia seemed to have the most. It was either 50 acres of vacant land, 25 acres of cultivated land, and a house 12 feet by 12 feet or a town lot and house 12 feet by 12 feet. Good God. Right? Like, oh, my God. And this is the craziest thing is that, like, the right to vote is, like, not really enshrined in their constitution. Really? 
other than like a few uh, things that talk about um, discrimination based on certain physical traits, other than that, there's not much that's actually said that's actually guaranteed by, by the Constitution. It actually leaves most of this stuff up to each individual state. Huh. Uh, so let's see here. So uh, this is just from the Wikipedia article on voting rights in the U.S. If anyone is interested on in actually reading this for themselves. So it says here that the Constitution did not originally define who was eligible to vote, allowing each state to determine who was eligible. In Jeez. early U.S. history, some states allowed only white male adult property owners to vote, while others did not specify race or specifically protected rights of men of any race to vote. Uh, let's see. Women were largely prohibited from voting, as were men without property. Women could vote in New Jersey until 1807, provided they could meet the property requirements. I feel like uh, we've 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 talked about this a little bit uh, on other episodes of this, but like, and if it's a theme that keeps coming back inter- when it comes to U.S. politics, is yeah. that the the decentralization of government yeah. in the U.S. has like really hindered it in a lot of ways. I know that that's that's like one of the key tenets was that they really wanted the states to be like independent, but also like under one banner, right? But if you're prioritizing that level of decentralization, you can't really have a functioning federal system if all of your little, if all the bits that make it up are so different from each other, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the difficult things in in U.S. politics or U.S. governing is that balance between, you know, the state legislature or state slash local laws and then the authority of the federal government. Yeah. I, again, their constitution doesn't really seem to make those distinctions and actually like categorize who's responsible for what. Whereas like in the Canadian constitution, like there are clear indicators of what the federal government is responsible for and what the provincial governments are responsible for. So when, you know, in our anti-vax episode, you know, we're talking about COVID restrictions and all that stuff and, you know, the trucker freedom convoy bullshit thing. Right. Like in that episode, if you go back and listen to it, you know, we're talking about how like it doesn't even make sense that they're protesting mm-hmm. the federal government because the federal government can't control what each province does in terms of administering uh, yeah. health directives. Right. Like healthcare is under the dur- jurisdiction of the province. That's why, like, you know, we don't have like a federal healthcare system. Right. It's like each province has its own healthcare system, which to me, I find annoying because, you know, you get into bureaucratic stuff if you travel in between provinces, whether you're traveling temporarily, whether you go to school in one province, but, you know, reside in another one. Like it just gets this bureaucratic BS in terms of like that. But anyways, uh, there are clear things and, and there are other things, too, other than healthcare, like education and, you know, other things uh, that are divided. But there's a thing, though, that tells you who does what, whereas in the yeah, in exactly. the States. You don't have that. So it's all kind of up in the air. So anyone could try to make an argument for anything. And I guess technically that's it's legal. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay. So going back to American uh, voting rights, like these are the only things that um, that are bound like by the Constitution. And these were amendments that were brought in after the Civil War. Uh, so these were not part of the original Constitution. So, uh you know, voting rights cannot be denied based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. And that comes from the 15th Amendment. Hmm. Uh, voting rights cannot be uh, denied based on sex. So that comes from the 19th Amendment. So that gives the women the right to vote. Uh, and then your rights or your voting rights cannot be denied based on the failure to pay a poll tax uh, for federal elections. 
And that comes from the 24th Amendment, which is in 1964, huh. which is crazy. So a poll tax would just be like, uh, you know, when elections are set up, a polling station would be set up. And then, you know, if they didn't like how you looked. So if you were black or another minority, they would say, oh, hey, you have to pay. If you want to vote, you got to pay 50 bucks or you got to pay 100 bucks or whatever. Get out of yeah. here. So then, you know, if you were someone who was black or another minority and you wanted to go and vote. You know, you you didn't have a hundred bucks or two or whatever they're charging. Right. So that would be a way to discourage people from voting. And this is like a legal way, obviously, uh, of doing it until that amendment uh, came in. Huh. And then the 26th Amendment in 1971 uh, got rid of any age restrictions to voting. So before that, technically, a state could mandate uh, you had to be of a certain age to vote. Huh. Yeah. So those are the only things that really talk about uh, who can vote. Jeez. Okay. You know, so the Constitution just broadly says, like in the original Constitution, just broadly says that people have the right to vote. But again, it doesn't have any kind of qualifiers to that. It doesn't say doesn't lay out any any steps. Classic. You know, so it's all up in the air. So that's why states could get away with uh, a bunch of different stuff, such as, you know, um, putting up like poll taxes. The other thing would be literacy tests. So they do this to, uh, you know, people who are slave or well, former slaves who uh, are, are, you know, just uneducated blacks because, you know, you have a whole system of keeping blacks uh, impoverished and uneducated. So you'd go to vote. Technically, you'd have a right to vote. And they would say, oh, yeah, OK, just pass this uh, reading test here. And have, have you ever come across these? Have you ever seen them? Like on I've the internet? never heard of this before. Okay, like I actually saw an example of what a literacy test like look like. And it's even someone who knows how to read, like it's made, it's designed to be as confusing as possible. So like if you can't read or don't have very good reading comprehension, like you're going to be confused. But even if you're like an expert, like in English, it was like, you're going to be confused. Really? Yeah. Oh, I wish I thought about this before. Um, if I can find one, I'll, I'll, I'll post a thing, but. Uh, it, it was like, yeah, they gave you like weird instructions. It'd be like, yeah, spell this word like backwards and then underline the third letter, but for how you would write it backwards and then like underline this line here. But like, you know, dot circle the, the I above, the, you know, the little dot above an I and then like cross out the third letter of like, this <laughs> like spell out this word. It, it was like crazy instructions like that. That was like really kidding confusing. Me? No, no, no. <laughs> Like it was like when people didn't want you to vote, like they made it as difficult as possible to stop you from voting. That's what's truly like, so that's what's so in, insane about it. And then again, even more insane is like how long it took to even like get rid of stuff like that. That's what I was going to ask. Like, those are great amendments and all. But when did they come into play? You know? Yeah. Well, like by race was like 1870. And then sex was 1920. And then the poll tax thing like was 1964. Hmm. And then by age. So, you know, you have to be 18 and older and you could vote. Uh, that was 1971. So a lot of this is like fairly recent. Relatively recent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's what's crazy. Like I said, like for a country that loves to talk about freedom and liberty and, you know, being able to vote and stuff. It's just like they loves really out democracy really don't. uh you know, want people voting and all this stuff is to stop, you know, blacks and other minorities from being able to assert any kind of control over how their lives are run mm -hmm. uh, by the government. So that could just be, you know, directly who's in power. 
But then also once you have people in power, you know, they set laws and policies and spending and all that stuff. So if you're someone that believes that, you know, people who are black, for example, don't deserve anything like that. They don't deserve to have, you know, publicly funded schools or well publicly funded schools. They don't deserve to have health care. You know, you want to keep a private system because that's going to disenfranchise the most amount of people that, again, you think have no value. I mean, yeah, you're going to want to create a system where those people can't come in and say, hey, we don't like that. We'll, we'll use this voting system that you're always going on about to, you know, enact laws and changes that we would like to see, you know, help us and help others. Right. There's a lot of people yeah. who have a vested interest in not wanting to do that or even think about businesses who want to have government subsidies or reduce taxes and stuff. Right. Or rich, rich families or rich individuals who don't want to pay taxes or want lower taxes or whatever. Right. Like if because they're all outnumbered. Right. They're less. Uh, I don't want to say poor people, but less uh, economically advantaged people than there are, oh, you know, absolutely. super wealthy, right? So they would get outvoted. They're called <laughs> every the one percent yeah. for a reason, <laughs> right? So if we had a system where you know the ninety nine percent could uh, you know institute something that would make those top one percent uh, individuals and corporations actually pay their fair share of taxes, they would obviously lose that vote. Mm-hmm. So uh, their whole system is set up to keep those in power in power, right? And keep those with money keep their money. Totally agree with you on that one. Like, you know, and to me, it's like what, what I where I think what I think is where I think it's it's not funny, but like obviously that is a kind of kind of a truth, right? Mm-hmm. But the narrative of that has been not changed. I don't want. I don't know if it's been changed or co opted, but like recent recent talk of voter suppression has not been around like hey they're stopping minorities from 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 voting which i mean not to say that it hasn't but i feel like the more the louder voice has been like uh at least i'm I'm thinking about the 2020 election right it's like Mm -hmm. oh the they're stopping republican voters from going out there the polls are rigged but we're winning but the polls are rigged uh in this in this weird kerfuffle of like equating partisan politics to actual voter issue voter right issues right mm-hmm. Which I, and i don't know how that evolved in that way honestly i don't yeah it's an interesting question is yeah it's again it's it's people wanting to stop others from gaining access uh to the system essentially because one of the things that i've been seeing online anyways more recent discussions in terms of voter suppression has been around uh, two two major points i'd say uh, the first one being gerrymandering, mm. which uh, could happen here in Canada, too. I don't hear too much about it, but basically gerrymandering is, for those who don't know, uh, it's basically how the electoral districts are drawn. So the way you carve up areas that, you know, vote for people of a particular party, like if you include only those or majority of only those who support the party that you're wanting to remain in power or get in power. If you draw up districts where they're composed primarily, let's say, of Republicans in the U.S., then, hey, guess what? <laughs> in every election, guess who's going to win? Just because the way you've drawn the district has incorporated more Republican voters. So, therefore, they will win. So, it's a way of, you know, rigging or gaming the system so that you get the end result that you're looking for. And so, that's been a real big problem because every time they redraw district lines, you know, they want to divide a community based on these party lines. And I would assume that probably Democrats on the same side would do the same thing. 
because in the U.S. you only have like a two-party system, I'd say here in yeah. Canada and like other parts of the world, it's a bit more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's a bit more difficult if you have like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever parties to vote for. It, it would be harder to to do that, but it's a lot easier in the U.S. because you only have basically two parties to vote for, so you can easily redraw lines. So whenever you look at a, a at an electoral district or sometimes even like city districts and stuff like that, uh. If you see like, you know, like you see like the pattern of how the, the district is shaped and then you see like one part that like stretches out really thin or something like you see like this odd shape that sticks out weirdly. You're like, oh, that's that's weird. You know, it's like a square. But then there's this long, thin rectangle that comes out at a certain point. Like, that's gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. That's what they, you know, <laughs> the main body that they're trying to incorporate in this district is not, let's say, Republican. But there's this little pocket over here. This thin little pocket over here to the right. So we're just going to loop that in with this, with this other non-Republican this population. Yeah, then that's basically <laughs> gerrymandering. So there's that. And then the other big thing is voter ID laws. This is what we hear about constantly, and especially in the last election. But even within like the last hmm. 10, 15 years, we've been talking about in the U.S., we've been talking about voter ID laws, because in 2013, uh, this part of the Voting Rights Act, which, uh, oh my God, which to me is an abomination that this was struck down by the Supreme Court. So it's basically, it was part of the Voting Rights Act that uh, put up any restriction against voter ID laws. So it was basically like a strict um, mandate that you had to have like this particular government ID in order to prove your identity. Because remember how we're talking about uh, here in Canada, right? There's so many different things that yeah. you can do. You can vouch for someone, you know, you could have like driver's license, but then you could have like, you know, three pieces of mail. You didn't have necessarily have to have something with photo ID or whatever, right? Uh, you know, you could have, you, you can mix and, mix and match basically mm-hmm. to prove, you, you know, you live at the place that you say you live at and that you are the person who you, you say you are. But in the in the U.S., you know, they don't want that. They just want like, no, you must have like, you know, government driver's license, for example, to show that you are who you say you are. And the reason this is, is because, you know, a lot of people who are poorer, you know, don't have a car. So True. if I don't have a car, I don't have a driver's license. Most likely. Right. I get around on public transit. So if I go to vote to exercise my constitutionally guaranteed right to vote. But then they say, oh, well, you have to have a driver's license. Otherwise, you can't vote. And then you're like, ooh. Yeah, that's an issue. That's ooh, uh, for sure that, an issue. How did that happen? Right? Like, if you look into the, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, like, if you looked into, if you look into the, like, population amount that has, that owns driver's licenses versus those who don't, right? That's probably a pretty sizable amount of people. And absolutely, you, I think you need the nail on the head that that kind of restriction definitely impacts more uh, people of lower income, people who are uh, minority, people who can't afford a car, can't afford to even can't even afford to take like a, a learning how to drive is an expense. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like even more so than own, even even just that that's like the minimum barrier. Like everyone knows owning a car is expensive, but even just learning how to drive can be unaffordable for for some people. Learning to drive or even, you know, uh, you know, paying fees to set up or pay for a license that yeah. uh, could be restrictive enough. Yeah. So when you do those type of things, yeah, that's like going to impact, uh, you know, who can vote and the justification for this, the reason why, uh, you know, right uh, leaning people slash Republican people push so strongly for this idea of strong voter ID laws is to stop election fraud. Right. That's the thing that we heard mm-hmm. about in the, in the previous American election, right? This voter fraud, voter fraud. 
But when you look into it and many programs like on, on TV and then channels on YouTube, I've talked about this, that voter fraud is like the least likely thing to happen because it's like the most obvious thing to see. <laughs> like if you could rig the system in such a way, like with a bunch of fraudulent votes, it would be very apparent. Like there's, there's not something you'd like, you know, do, you know, discreetly and like no one's really going to mm-hmm. notice. Like, you know, sometimes when people, let's say you're like a, you work for like a, a hedge fund or something, right? Or even if you just scam investors outright, you know, you can say like, like, like Bernie Madoff, right? It was just like, oh yeah, give me money, give me yeah. money. I'm going to invest it in these things and you're going to get great returns, great returns, right? You just keep getting new people to give you money and you tell them, oh yeah, I'm growing your money, I'm growing your money, right? That's like, you can get away with it because it's like kind of hard to check. I don't know. You know, That's I gave true. you my money. Uh, you know, you said you bought stocks with it and yeah, okay, they've gone up. You can produce paperwork that shows it's gone up. I think, hey, everything's gone up. Then I find out, oh no, wait, he wasn't actually going up. He was just spending it on his own stuff and just telling me that it was going up. Right. That's that's something that is not easily observable. It's not impossible. But yeah. It's not easily observable. Election fraud. You know, if you live in a district that has 100 people. Right. And then just just <laughs> scale this to whatever size you want. And 200 people show up to vote or 200 votes are counted or everyone, literally every person goes to vote the same way. You know, like you would see that like it, it would be a clear yeah. indication like there is no way that this would be possible. To, to do when it people, discreetly. When people talk about voter, pro, voter fraud, is it more the issue of like, oh, we don't want this uh, random people impersonating actual voters? Or is it more like we don't want people pretending to vote for like five different people or uh, it's I like don't... it's like a mix the, fir- of the, the former is the only thing that I can think of when I think of voter fraudulence, right? It's, it's like a mix of things. It's like, yeah, either you're impersonating someone or you're voting more than once. Or in the case that some places maybe allow you to vote a certain amount of times more than the certain amount of times that you're allotted. Or you're just like stuffing the ballot box. Right. So you're just like putting in a bunch of votes that wouldn't otherwise oh, be there. Right. Those are like the main ways that you could commit voter fraud. Yeah. Those all seem super obvious. But to you, check yeah, out exactly. Too. Yeah. If if. if you know, you have, you know, like I said, someone under the name like Christine Johnson who comes and votes. OK, cool. Thank you, Miss Johnson. You voted. Awesome. And then 10 minutes later, another person named Christine Johnson comes with the exact same information as yeah. that other lady. Oh, OK, something's not right here. Something's not adding up. Now, if Absolutely. you multiply that out where it's like, yeah, you have like because this would have to be enough to influence the outcome of election. One vote is not realistically going to influence no. an election. Right. Like very rarely does it come down to actual one literal vote. It's not impossible, but highly improbable. So you would have to do that for a lot of people where like there's these double or triple or something votes like you would see that be a real, real coordinated effort. Exactly. Like there's no way you could do this discreetly or anonymously. Right. And or even it's the case where it's like ballot box stuffing. If it's, you know, in countries where there's a dictator who runs the thing and controls the thing. Right. Like there, there's no one who can come and check and say anything. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, we'll kill you, right? If anyone tries to observe <laughs> yeah. how the elections are going, right? Like in Russia, when they did, like, I think Putin's last election, that was like pretty much like everyone knew it was like freaking rigged, like, right? And like no one was allowed mm-hmm. to, because usually when, when countries have elections, like, like I said, there's people who can observe, but there's also like international agencies that can come in and like look and oversee how everything is going, right? When those people aren't allowed to do that, you know something's up. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> 
and it's already an author authoritarian government who's in control and you know they're going to say oh yeah we have 100 percent victory results or if they want to make it realistic we'll say oh we have 99.8 <laughs> you know uh landslide victory it's like no one realistically no one votes like that it's it, no. it's not impossible but it's not gonna happen so in the u.s when there's these large concerns like again like there have been incidences of voter fraud but it's like one it's identified immediately and two it's like mm -hmm. it, we're talking about like one or two votes that where this happens because like i said yeah. any large-scale operation would be immediately you know singled out would be observed i was gonna say like you know what that signals to me which it, it's like it signals to me a uh an, either a mistrust or a like non-confidence in the system that exists mm -hmm. to count ballots right or to 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 view this kind of thing yeah. right like clearly there are human beings behind making uh, your elections work right yeah. humans rely on each other that's how society fucking works right like there are people counting ballots there are people making sure that people aren't writing the name of somebody who either maybe doesn't exist or who somebody who does exist and who's not them right yeah and like that clearly signals to me people who are people who are like oh well we you know what what about this what about this what about this is like why do you not have confidence in the system that your government has in place right no, that, that that's yeah. just, something something's off about that to me yeah, no, that's a good point that you bring up. That's what they're trying, like, people who, who push this narrative, of, again, of needing these voter ID laws to stop any potential threat. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to institute doubt in the system from regular people so that they'll think, oh, yeah, we can't trust yeah. what's going on. So, you know, we need these things. That's how they kind of pull in, you know, your everyday average Joe who doesn't really give a shit about any of this, but they hear that. That doesn't sound right. Obviously, if you come up, to a person say, hey, you know, do you think people should be able to defraud the voting system, the electoral system? You know, you're going to be like, oh, no, I don't think that's a good thing at all. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. That's why we need strong. But that's how people get roped in. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you, you've sown these seeds of doubt. And so people start thinking that, oh, wait, maybe there is a problem. Right? That, yeah, that, 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 that's a good point there. Uh, Which is kind of absurd. Like, I, I understand that the average person could be can be swayed by. You know, any any person who's pushing this agenda of like, oh, well, we need clearly there's something wrong with it. We need cl better voting, anti-voting, anti-voting fraud laws. Yeah. Uh, that's a that was a mouthful. <laughs> uh, if we need these things, uh, there's I'm sure there's a bunch of different ways that they can persuade somebody to agree with that statement. That's not like the system's fucked, you know, because I think any reasonable person who thinks critically mm -hmm. is going to think like why do you uh, and i get I, I i come back to it because it's just nuts to me it's like why do you believe that the system doesn't work why do you not trust the system what you it's, know? it's just like i yeah no i i, I agree clearly they're, they're just saying. pushing their own agenda and a, a sure. more critical person can see that or should but be able to see I think that i think a, a lot of people don't think critically that's the problem no. and then yeah. if you can whip people up into a, a pandemonium a frenzy then yeah. yeah you'll just get people who will go with it and so that's what they were really trying hard to push for those uh, for that November 2020 election. Right. That's why they were going on about how there was the ballot stuffing. I remember or I remember reading or seeing uh, people claiming that, you know, a bunch of ballots were thrown out. Right. All these all these Trump ballots were, were, were thrown out. And it's like, oh, well, no, that didn't happen. No one's throwing out <laughs> ballots. Right. So either things were thrown out or. A bunch of unmarked ballots were brought in again. Ballot box stuffing. It's just like right. If you if you're trying to 
cause like this widespread panic. Yeah. So the average person will be like, oh yeah, something, something fishy is going on here because they're trying to get their way. Again, it's about maintaining yeah. your position of power. So absolutely. It, they'll do the, whatever it takes. It's not a question of like morals and integrity or anything or ethics no. or anything. Like we're beyond that, right? They'll just do whatever we get to get the end result that we feel we should get. That's their goal. It's true. It's true. Uh, and yeah, and so that comes into like when we talked about how Canada does their elections, right? It's pen to paper or pencil, I should say. It's not written in pen. Mm -hmm. Pencil to paper. Very low tech, right? What we saw in the last U.S. election, right? Part of this idea of trying to discredit the system, the institutions that, that they have, right? was that the machines themselves. Uh, yes, the famous machines. Were, were rigged somehow. Because <laughs> again, that would... You would see that. You'd be able to find widespread evidence of like tampering with the machine. In a, in a fucking hell. That, that argument freaks me out. Because like in a country so advanced as the United States of America that has like the, the, the intelligence bureaus that it does, the FBI, the CIA, they're, NSA, they're on yeah. their shit about electronic security in every facet of the country and in their governance, right? Mm -hmm. Like if they want it to be safe, they're going to be safe. Like I'm, and that's not to discredit the fact that like hacking is very, is a very real threat but to cybersecurity, yeah. yep. right? Like uh, Russian, Russian I'm, I'm thinking about Russian interference in the election because that was also a hot, to, a hot button topic at in the, the time. Previous but, like, election, yeah, inter international interference through yeah. uh, electronic hacking means is, is a very serious like thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. But like, Think about the United States, my dudes. They're crazy. They're not gonna let. They're gonna if they if they want didn't want an election to be tampered with. They it would not. They happen. could find they, a way. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, they can make the tightest cybersecurity that they could to make it so that that kind of thing doesn't happen. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where it's like if there was the evidence for it, we'd see the evidence for it. We wouldn't have to do yeah. this like frantic push to say, "Oh my God!" But what if all this stuff happened? It's like, well, no, it's it's not there. Oh, it's a great cover-up. I'm like, okay, sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, it's always the some other somebody thing. Brings up a cover, bring, the, the, the word cover-up is like, all right, well, no, sorry, I don't believe you anymore. Like, cover-ups <laughs> do happen. I'm not trying to say no cover-up has ever oh, happened. Sure. Like, it definitely, they do happen. But on this, uh, no. <laughs> there's, there's no reason, uh, or at least from what I've seen, there's nothing to suggest that there's been, like, uh, a cover-up or yeah. anything like that. And then I guess the last thing that we'll touch on uh, before we end this episode is that uh, at least for the presidential elections, like they don't, they have the electoral college system. Uh, boo. Right? Boo. Which in my reading and videos that I've watched about the electoral college system was basically uh, a way it's, it, it, it's like a relic of its time basically. So when yeah. the States first came Absol together, oh, that's a great way to say it, great way to put it, it made sense from, again, based on my understanding at the time, because, you know, you're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking like 18th century. So like 1700s, mm -hmm. late 1700s. Obviously, you don't have the instant communication that we have now or even 100 yeah. years ago, even with like telephone, telegraph. You could yeah. easily transmit information. I mean, relatively easier compared to what existed before, which would probably be horseback and stuff like that. And the country was essentially, you know, pretty widespread. It's not like a small European country where it's still things aren't necessarily close or e very easily accessible, but within range of each other, you can figure this stuff out pretty quickly. U.S. Mm -hmm. even with with its thirteen colonies was still, you know, if you're talking to someone in Maine versus someone down like in Florida, uh, I'm not sure Florida is actually one of the thirteen colonies, but anyways, further down south, 
it's a distance to get everybody together and tally up those votes and then come back and find out, you know, who voted what. So basically they decided that, oh, okay, well, instead of doing that, we'll have like a conference, basically. So everyone from their respective state will tally their votes. They'll tell us, basically the electoral college system, how it works is that you have delegates, delegates who are uh, assigned to certain states. Each state yeah. has a certain amount of delegates. Uh, the, the population uh, vote that takes place, so the, on the actual election day, the population votes. The way that they vote will tell how the delegates are supposed to vote when they meet in their actual like, uh, convention that they have. Mm-hmm. So if the majority of the state, I, th- I believe most states, I think, I can't remember now, but f- how it's supposed to work is that the delegates are supposed to follow what the majority votes in their state. But sometimes, depending, again, this depends on state law, uh, a delegate can vote how they find. So they could disagree with the majority and say, no, I'm going to vote Republican, even though the uh, majority voted uh, Democrat or the opposite. So that's a possibility. But essentially, uh, the, the, the general vote tells the delegate how to vote. So whoever gets the majority, when they meet for their convention, all the delegates get together and they say, okay, I'm from New York. Uh, you know, we're going to vote. We're going to give uh, based on the districts that come in, we're giving, uh, you know, 20 votes to the Democrats and we're giving 25 votes to the Republicans kind of thing. That's how it's like essentially supposed to work. Or some other states can have it where like whoever wins the overall majority, all their votes go toward uh, either the Democrat or Republican candidate. There are some mm-hmm. where it's, you, you can divide it, I think. And I believe there are some where it's just like majority goes to all of them. Uh, kind of thing. So that, like I said, that made sense back in, you know, 1790, whatever. Sure. When, yeah, you couldn't really get information again, reliably quickly. So it's like, okay, we're all going to meet at a conference and then we'll do the actual election based on how we're told to vote. And that's still the system in place today. So when people go to vote in November, yes, they're casting their general uh, election ballot uh, yes, the, what the news reports that from that evening and the next day on, depending how long the, 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 the vote count goes on, all that stuff still happens. But a month later is when the delegates actually meet. And that's when they actually cast their vote for the president. And that's so, how you get situations so where correct. someone can win the popular vote. Right. So basically the yeah. overall majority of residents or citizens, I should say of the U S. Uh, but because, for the most part, the electoral college votes are all or nothing. And each state has a certain amount of electoral college votes. And the way that they're divided, they're not divided, like the number of electoral college votes, they're not divided based on population. Of course not. Right? They're not, they're not um, proportioned that way. Smaller states get like one or two more votes than uh, larger states. Because mm-hmm. I believe each state gets like three votes by default, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while since I actually looked into this. So each state gets like three votes. And then it's, it's on the general principle, larger population gets more votes. But again, it's not tied to like any actual proportionality. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, okay. So, so smaller states, because they have this three vote minimum, get overrepresented. <laughs> and then larger population states get underrepresented because of this. And so, and, and you have to get hit a certain number to win the election. So depending on which states you vote, the order, you know, which you win certain combination of states, uh, you could like win 
the majority of the electoral college yeah. votes with a minority of uh, actual in-person votes or I'm population shaking my votes. fucking head over yeah, here. It's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd to me. Like, again, I think I think you really say, nailed it when you were like, it's a relic of its time, right? Now, it only serves to undermine the will of the people, right? Like, there's no, and there's no other way to put it. Who Who's going to try and defend that system? What based on precedent that you've used it? No, no. the fact that the fact that as you said, somebody uh, an election candidate can win the popular vote and still lose is unfathomable. Yeah, to me. it's it's ridiculous. And the the reason why it's difficult to get rid of it, it's because this is something that actually is in the Constitution. So get out. there would have to be like <laughs> I'm not sure what the amendment process is for the Constitution, but there would have to it have to go through that process in order to, to change it. Well, I think we'll leave it there, right? So this was uh, all about the electoral systems of Canada and the U.S. If you're from the States and you listen to us today and you were like, hey, that's kind of rough. I didn't actually know about this. Uh, Hey, look into it some more. Maybe try and like advocate for some change yeah. in your municipal uh, or in your state, right? Start a grassroots movement for yeah. electoral reform. You Hell have yeah. the power. You can do it. You have the power. So, Alex, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Oh, God. Always. Sadly. I'm the plug machine. <laughs> uh, as well, you know, so uh, I'm going to go through my list uh, as per usual and plug myself. Uh, hey, yeah. uh, you've, you've listened to the show a few times now. You know I'm, a, I'm an actor. I'm a voice person. I also make music. Uh, I've actually recently uh, won a, a piece that I, that I composed for our other podcast, uh, the other podcast that I work at work for October Jones and Fisher legs yes. uh, recently won an audio verse award for best original composition, yeah. for which is uh, really, really, I'm honored, honestly, uh, another feather in my cap. So if you <laughs> need, if you, the listener needed another reason to be like, Oh, this Alex guy's kind of cool. That's it. There you go. <laughs> uh, you can find me online. Uh, my handle um, for most social media stuff is at Crustaceous, C-R-U-Z-T-A-C-I-O-U-S. Uh, I've already plugged October Jones and Fisher Legs technically, there but is, uh, season two is coming out this, uh, we're working on season two this summer. Nice. So we're hoping to release it in the fall. Uh, so stay tuned for more details on that. Uh, if you're, if you're listening in uh, from Montreal, uh, I am going to be in the live band for uh, Contact Theater's production of Next to Normal, uh, which is an award-winning uh, Tony, a Tony award-winning Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, musical. Uh, it's really cool. It's like about a family dealing with uh, bipolar disorder, uh, one of the family members, and it's just super. It's just super, super sick. Like the music's awesome. The show is really cool and heartfelt, uh, and it is going on from uh, in Montreal from May 6th to May 14th uh, at the Monument National Theater. Uh, you can look up Contact Theater uh, next to normal uh, on Facebook or on Google and whatever, and you can find your tickets uh, there. They are on sale currently. All right. And that's nice. it for me. Nice. Awesome. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Aim for the Bushes. I've been your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as J-Pav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. With me again today, special podcast person, Alex. Music hey. for this episode has been done by Mia Pearson. So make sure you go check her out on SoundCloud if you haven't already. Everyone, please stay safe. Uh, make sure you get vaccinated. No more. Keep a mask on. <laughs> yeah. I know mask mandates are dropping, but keep, keep those masks on. Peace. Peace.